so good to see so many of you here. Uh, it means so much to me that many of you have come from long distances to be here today. Um, some of you have been part of Trinity from years back, and some of you are brand new. And uh, wow, thank you for being here. It really, it really means a lot to me. And and thank you so much for those amazing testimonies. I don't know who you were talking about, but I would love to meet that guy. <laughs> I just think he sounds amazing. I mean, the type of person that you would just want to be with all the time. <laughs> uh, today uh, is my last opportunity uh, to be with you. And of course, that's bittersweet. You know, it's, I, I have uh, experienced every possible emotion over the last uh, several weeks. Uh, and so I, I want to do something a little bit different today. I, I don't want to inform you. I want to inspire you. I want to inspire you. I, I want you to know who God is. And I want you to know how loved you are by God. I want to give you an infusion of faith and hope like you've never had before. That's what I want to give you today. And while I'm doing that, I want to give you a vision for what you can do when you feel like your world is crashing in around you. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like your world was crashing in around you? A few of you? Well, just be patient. (laughs) You know, if you haven't experienced that, it will come. I promise you, it will come. But there's something that the Lord has been showing me, and I think it's similar to Deanne. You know, when you you end up in a situation, you start to see things that you didn't see before. You start to hear God in ways that you didn't hear him before. You start to see things in the word of God that were always there, but you just didn't see them. And one of the things that I have been seeing lately... Is, is that there is this theme running throughout the scriptures that is repeated over and over again. And it, it's where God's people, God's people, find themselves in situations where it appears, and I stress appears, it appears that they're out of options. It appears that they've done everything that they can do and they've come up wanting. They don't have the strength. They don't have the ability. They don't have the skills. They don't have the support. And they've done everything that they can do, and it's not enough. But then they discover that God has never done all that he can do. He has never done all that he can do. The king always has one more move. The king has one more move. How many of you play chess? Yeah, some of you. I see a lot of the kids play chess. A lot of the kids play chess. My five-year-old daughter plays chess. I think it's something that city kids do. When I was growing up, I, I uh, I lived on a little farm, and I was chasing sheep and cows. And you've, you've heard most of those stories. But chess is something very different. Chess is a game of strategy. Or if you're George Bush, strategery, (laughs) right? 
stress, or stress, yes, stress does too. Chess. (laughs) Chess requires a lot of thought. It requires a lot of thought and then a move. A lot of thought and then a move. And you know the game is lost when the king is surrounded. When the king has no more moves. Your enemy is looking at you and they know that you don't have anywhere to go. You're out of options. The game is over. And then you hear those dreaded words or word, checkmate. Checkmate. You're done. It's over. Game over. We have an enemy that loves to hem us in. We have an enemy that loves to trap us, loves to surround us, loves to accuse us of different things, loves to get us to the point where we feel like there's nothing left, like there's nowhere to turn. And then he screams into our ear, checkmate. Right? You heard that? You get a bad report from the doctor, checkmate. The job that you loved was just eliminated, checkmate. The business that you invested your life savings in just went bankrupt, checkmate. Your spouse tells you that they never loved you and that they want a divorce, checkmate. You're an addict and you keep falling back into the same destructive patterns. Checkmate. The enemy comes to you and says, you are out of moves. You are out of moves and you're never going to get out of this. Checkmate. But there's something that you need to know. There's something that all of us need to know. And this is true. There's something that we all need to know. When hell Screams checkmate. Heaven whispers, I don't think so. I don't think so. I was listening to a sermon a few weeks ago by Franklin Jensen. And he used that phrase in his congregation. And I will tell you, I jumped up out of my chair. And I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are a God of second chances. Thank you that you are a God that when we feel we have no more options, there's always one more move. You are a God of second chances. I remember a couple of years ago, I was talking with Marlene, and I know she's not here, but I know she's listening or on, on simulcast right now. And I told her that if I ever left this place, I would start a church called the Church of Second Chances. (laughs) My mom was part of a church called the Church of the Last Resort. (laughs) Maybe I can start that church too. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us when we don't even love ourselves. Thank you, Jesus, that you always have one more move. You know, we need to be ready to respond to the enemy when he tries to bring us down. 
And he's going to try to bring us down. We need to be ready to respond to the enemy when he lies to us and tries to deceive us. When he tells us that we're out of moves, that we're no good, that we're worthless, that you're done. When he says checkmate, we need to say, I don't think so. I don't think so. Would you like to practice? Yeah? Okay, well, stand up then. You got to stand up for this. When hell says checkmate, you say, Okay, not bad, not bad. You know, it's it's good, it's good. But you, you need to remember that you can do better than that. Because you are talking to an enemy. Oh, you can sit down. I'm sorry. <laughs> you are talking to an enemy that says he's got your children. Yes. You are talking to an enemy that says he's got your future. You are talking to an enemy that says you are never going to experience the healing that you've been praying for. You are talking to an enemy that says you don't have what it takes. You are talking to an enemy that says it is too late for you. You know, when Franklin Jensen tried this with his congregation, there was an African-American, an elderly African-American woman sitting in the front row. You know, the, she had the fan. She had the hat. And when, he heard, when she heard the words checkmate, she stood up. She put her hands on her hips. And she said, I don't think so. And that's the way we got to say it. I don't think so. Last week, Ron Walborn was here. Ron is a friend of mine. He's the dean of Alliance Theological Seminary and Nyack College. He's also a vice president there. And if you were here, you may have remembered that he talked about the woman that was caught in adultery. You know the story. She was dragged out into a public square thrown down at the feet of Jesus by legalistic, self-righteous, pharisaical men who knew that she had broken the law and that she was trapped, that she had nowhere to go, and she knew it too. She was embarrassed. She figured this was the end. And all these men were looking to Jesus. What would he say? What would he do? They already had their stones in their hands. Because the law said, when a woman or a man is caught in adultery, they should be stoned. Now, Ron said that Jesus knelt down. In fact, Scripture tells us that. He knelt down and he started writing in the sand. We don't know what he was writing. But Ron said that he thought maybe what Jesus was writing was all the sins of the accusers. So that they would be able to see just how hypocritical they really are. But what if Jesus was writing, I don't think so. (laughs) Scripture tells us that Jesus stood up and he said, all right. The one who is without sin, 
You cast the first stone. And one by one, the men dropped their stones, and they walked away. And then Jesus looked at this woman, and he said, Where are your accusers? And she said, They have left. And he said, Well, then I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. You see, the king always has one more move. The king always has one more move. And there are so many stories like this in the Bible. When you need them, you can find them. You start digging through, and all of a sudden they start popping out at you like you've never seen them before. How many of you have ever been shipwrecked? Not a common instance for people that are city dwellers, at least not at least not in the literal sense. But what I'm talking about is a time in your life where you found yourself in a storm that was so violent that everything that you were leaning on proved to be insufficient. Everything that you were leaning on proved to be insufficient. And you thought that the ship that you were on was going to get you where you needed to go. But you ran that baby into the ground. You ran it into the ground. And now what? Shipwrecks are always devastating, right? When you're in a shipwreck, you feel like it's over. But did you know that wrecking the ship might actually be the catalyst that God uses to get you to where you need to be? Shipwrecks. That's what happened to Paul in Acts 27. Paul left Jerusalem because he knew he couldn't get a fair trial there. And because he was a Roman citizen, he knew that he could appeal to a higher court and have his case heard in Rome. And so he was granted permission. He makes his way to Rome. And on the way, he, he, he comes across this absolutely violent storm. A violent storm. And in verse 20, it says, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. You see, these men on the ship had lost all hope. They were experienced sailors, and yet they were in a storm that was unrelenting. It wasn't letting up. They were hungry, they were cold, they were exhausted. They had thrown all the cargo overboard. They had taken ropes and they had tied up the stern and the bow to try and keep this thing from breaking apart. And they know at this point that it's not going to happen. That they made a fatal error. And chances are, this would be their last day. And just then, in verse 21, Paul stands up and says, Men... You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. Don't you love it when you make a bad choice? You make a really bad choice and you're suffering the consequences and someone comes to you and says, I told you. I told you if you did this. This is how this was going to turn out. But would you listen? No. No, you would not listen. And look at us now. Have you ever had that happen? So that's what Paul's doing. And I could, I could, just, I could, I could sense that the scripture doesn't record everything that Paul said. 
I, I think that he may have taken it a step for, further and said, you know what? I got on this ship because I didn't feel like swimming. And now it looks like all of us are going to be swimming. Thanks a lot. But then Paul shifts gears. He shifts gears and he says something else, something out of the ordinary. He says, but I urge you to keep up your courage. I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Only the ship will be destroyed. You see, Paul had some inside information. See, an angel of the Lord had shown up next to Paul and told him that the ship would be lost, but every single person on that ship would survive. So Paul knows he's good. He knows everybody's good. But he also knows that ship is going down. When we find ourselves in a situation where we're out of moves, God is never out of moves. He's never out of moves. We're talking about a God who spoke into existence the heavens and the earth. We're talking about a God who parted the Red Sea, healed the sick, raised the dead, turned water into wine, and conquered sin and death. That's the kind of God we are talking about here. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to you and me today. The same power. Now, does that mean that we're not going to lose some ships? No, it doesn't. We are going to lose some ships along the way, even with the resurrection power on our side. You're going to lose some friendships. You're going to lose some relationships. You're going to have some hardships. And you're going to feel like everything is lost. Everything that you were counting on. But maybe what God is showing you is that you were trusting in the ship instead of the one who put you on the ship. A good father will not allow you to miss out on your God-given destiny. A good father will go out of his way to do whatever it takes to move you in the direction that he knows you should go. He won't allow you to stay comfortable if comfort is keeping you from your God-given destiny. I was thinking about this, and I was reading an article about eagles. Eva got this National Geographic book that has all this great information about animals. And I've been reading up. <laughs> and I read a story about eagles. And recently, as I was reading this story, I realized that God was using that story to speak into my life. God works in mysterious ways. Did you know that eagles' nests are made out of sticks? Sharp, jagged sticks. And do you know that an eagle's nest can be three meters in diameter and that it can weigh up to two tons? That's a big nest. I didn't know that. And often, eagle's nests are built hundreds of feet above the ground on the edge of a cliff. There's a picture that I'd like to show you of an eagle's nest, if we can bring that up. And after the nest is completed, this is really interesting, the father and the mother eagle will collect soft, 
comfortable cloth and straw and leaves, and they will line the inside of that nest so it's really comfortable. So when the eggs hatch and the eaglets are born, they've got a nice, comfortable place where they can grow up. And you know what happens? Those eaglets start to grow up, and the mother and father eagle fly off every day, and they bring back food, and they give those eaglets everything they need. Everything they need. All of their needs are taken care of. And when they get old enough, they don't want to leave. Why would they? (laughs) By the time they're 12 to 14 weeks old, all of their feathers have grown in and they can fly. But they don't know it. They don't know they can fly. And they're not going to try because inside that nest is really comfortable. And mom and dad will go out and get all the food, so why should I fly? They're perfectly content staying where they are, but the father and mother eagles know that that is not a sustainable plan. And you know what they do? This is amazing. They rip up the inside of the nest. The mother and father eagle rip out all of that soft stuff that they put inside the nest to make that nest comfortable, and the only thing that's left are these jagged sticks that are poking into the backs of these baby eaglets. And so you know what the baby eaglets do? They move out to the edge of the nest. They stand on the side because at least it's comfortable there. There's not a stick jabbing into my back. And then a gust of wind comes up, and they have to flap their wings a little bit to keep balance. And then a gust of wind comes up that is so great, it knocks them right off the nest, and they end up falling down in a free fall. Hundreds of feet straight down. And as they're falling, they start flapping their wings instinctively. And then suddenly they realize they're flying. And then they realize they're soaring. They can do things, they can do things that they never thought possible. And you know what? God wants you to get out of your nest. He wants you to learn how to fly. In fact, he wants you to learn how to soar. That's what God wants for you. And some of you are sitting in your comfortable nest right now, and you don't want to leave because you're, you're afraid to face the unknown. Some of you are standing on the edge right now because somebody just ripped up the inside of your nest. Some of you just got knocked out of the nest, and you're in a free fall right now. And you're looking down, and you're thinking, this does not look good. Some of you just realized that if you started flapping... You could fly. And some of you have learned to soar. Some of you have learned to soar. Jesus wants you to soar. And he promised that you would do greater things than even he he did. Greater things than Jesus? That's what the scripture says. I'm going to believe it. That's a promise. Now, God may allow you to go through some storms. And you may experience some seasons where life is anything but comfortable. I can guarantee that. But God has a plan for you that will ultimately bring him glory and get you to your God-given destiny. That's what God wants to do. Now, I'm sure things didn't look good for the eaglets when they were in the free fall. And I'm sure things didn't look great when Jesus was nailed to the cross. But the king has one more move. That's what we've learned. Now, God may change the way, but he will not change the end. 
The promises of God are always yes and amen. The promises of God, yes and amen. Have you forgotten that you belong to somebody? You belong to somebody. And I'm not talking about a boss or a manager or a husband or a wife or a parent. I'm talking about the creator of the universe. That's who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the one who created you in your mother's womb. He envisioned you before the beginning of time. That's the one I'm talking about. The God of the universe calls you his own. He calls you his masterpiece. And if someone doesn't value you, if someone doesn't see the gifts in you, the potential in you, God still sees it. God sees it. God has validated you in ways that no man could ever validate you. And just because they couldn't see it doesn't mean that God can't see it. You see, if they can't see it, it's because they weren't supposed to see it. Because God's got something else for you. That's what I'm learning. That's what I'm learning right now. And there's examples of this in the scripture, if you start digging. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. But God raised him up to save an entire nation. David was discounted by his father. But God raised him up to be the greatest king that ever lived. Gideon was the least among his tribe. But when the angel of the Lord showed up and found him hiding in a wine press, he greeted him by saying, Greetings, mighty warrior. You see, God sees things in us that we can't see in ourselves. And if we can't see it, how are other people supposed to see it? People are going to miss things, but God never misses anything. Now, you may not be living up to your potential today. Maybe you're not. I don't think any of us really are. But God is working behind the scenes to get you where you need to go so that you can fulfill your God-given destiny. And sometimes he'll use a shipwreck to get you there. But when the devil screams checkmate, we say, I don't think so. The king has one more move. Remember who you're dealing with. Think about the God that you serve. What he's capable of. The descriptors that we find about him in the scriptures. Now, most of you are New Yorkers, so you've probably walked by Rockefeller Center about a thousand times, right? Okay? Did you ever see the, the statue out front of Atlas? Did you ever look at it carefully? Do you know the story? You see, Atlas is holding the world on his shoulders, and it was actually a punishment. You can see his muscles and his legs bulging. You can see the weight of this heavy, heavy world pressing down upon him. And did you notice the state of the world? It's empty. It's empty. It's hollow. And directly across from Rockefeller Center... Right across from Rockefeller Center is St. Patrick's Cathedral. Have you ever been there? 
You seen it? You should walk in there and check this out. It's a beautiful building, but there's a beautiful statue inside that speaks to this. There's a picture of a five-year-old Jesus inside St. Patrick's. And he's just standing there. He's just a kid, five years old. He's still living with Mary and Joseph. He hasn't begun his public ministry. Nobody knows who this kid is, but in his hands, he is effortlessly holding the world. He's not straining. He doesn't need to strain because he's Jesus, the creator of the universe in flesh. So if we put these two images side by side, which one do you want to serve? Do you want to serve Atlas, who's straining under the weight of the world that is hollow and empty? Or do you want to serve Jesus, King of Kings, who even at five years old could hold the weight of the world in his hand effortlessly? Because that's the God I serve. So let's get back to Paul. What happened to Paul? James, you didn't finish the story. Just as the angel said that the ship would be destroyed, it was. They ran into ground, and all the men who could swim swam to shore. The ones that couldn't swim actually grabbed pieces of the ship that had broken apart, held onto that, and they dog paddled their way into shore. But every one of them made it. Everyone made it. And when they got to shore, they were greeted by natives that treated them kindly. They built a fire for them. They took care of them. And the natives introduced Paul to their leader, to the chief. And the chief happened to have a father who was deathly ill, on the verge of death. And so Paul prayed for this man, and he was healed instantly. And after the chief's father was healed, everybody on the entire island brought all of their sick to Paul, and he healed all of them. Everybody got healed. And then the chief invited Paul and his men to stay with him, and for three months, Paul had the opportunity to minister to everybody on this island. And at the end of those three months, they gave Paul a ship with all the supplies that he needed so that he could continue his journey to Rome, and that's exactly what he did. Isn't that amazing? Do you think that's coincidence? Or do you think that maybe God knew that that shipwreck was coming long before Paul realized he was even in a storm? You see, God's ways are not our own. But he's always doing something behind the scenes. And it's always for his glory. And he lets you come along for the ride so that you can experience your God-given potential. Pretty amazing, huh? Will you experience some shipwrecks along the way? Yes, you will. Will you go through some seasons where the enemy is pressing in on all sides? Yes, you will. Will you find yourself in a place where it seems like you're out of options? Yes, you will. That's just life, folks. And there's nowhere in Scripture where it says, 
we're going to avoid any of that as believers or followers of Jesus. In fact, Jesus asked his disciples if they were ready to take up this cup. And when they said, oh, yes, he said, you don't even know what you're talking about. But then he said, you will drink this cup. Because Jesus knew he was going to help him. When the enemy screams, checkmate, you need to get up on your feet and say, I don't think so. The king has one more move. Will you pray with me? Lord, you tell us in John 16, 33, that in this world we will have many troubles. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We know that you love us and that your heart is to get us to our God-given destiny. Help us to look at the shipwrecks that we experience through your eyes. If we look at them through our eyes, Lord, we are doomed. But if we look at them through your eyes, we know the king has one more move. Give us faith to trust you. Give us faith and the assurance to know that we are in the palm of your hand, just like that statue at St. Patrick's. Lord, when the enemy comes to us and says we're out of moves, checkmate. Help us to look to you so we can say, I don't think so. The king has one more move. Amen. Amen.